Shay, just, just for your information, when I first met John, it was in Hawaii on the trip where I was celebrating post-chemo. No. So the very first time that John met me was in those pictures that we're using for the podcast. That's amazing. It yeah. is. We go back a ways. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, I'm over there looking like a cancer patient. And, you know, John and I kind of become friends over there on the Hawaii beach. Um, he lives in Los Altos. And we ended up, you know, riding bikes together, doing stuff together. And then fast forward, I don't know, how, how many years? Uh, it must be probably about 15 or so years. And then John ends up with, with prostate cancer. Way to go, John. Hello, and welcome to Conversations About Cancer. Today, Shay and I talk with John. John is a friend of mine for over 20 years. A couple years back, he was diagnosed with stage 4 metastatic prostate cancer. Now, prostate cancer is the most common form of cancer for older men, men over 60. About one in nine men will be diagnosed with this at some time in their life. So it's a very, very important episode. Now, in John's case, because he was diagnosed stage 4, you know, it's something that he just has to live with. So he talks about different treatments. We talk about chemotherapy. We talk about radiation, something called a cyber knife and hormone therapy. And we talk about what it's like to really live with this disease, knowing you will never really get rid of it. Um, so there's a philosophy that we explore where we talk about living in two worlds, the world of the practical reality and the world of hope. There's a lot here. We hope you find it interesting and helpful. And let's sit down and have a nice chat with John. Good morning, Shay. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, John. Good morning, Rick. So um, today we have a uh, an interesting conversation. Um, it's between Shay and I and my friend John. And interestingly enough, I met John in Hawaii when I was celebrating being done with chemo. So that picture that we have on our podcast was exactly how I looked the first day that I met John. Um, fast forward 15 years, John ends up with prostate cancer. And this is the most common cancer to affect men. And um, I think he's got a lot of important experiences that he can share with others. And I was a little bit of a cancer coach with him early on in his process, and we got a lot to talk about. So, John, um, you know, if you could start it off, why don't you, why, actually, why don't you start it off with, with how it was to first meet me looking like a cancer patient out there in Hawaii? Well, that's, and that's exactly where I wanted to start. So, um yeah, so uh, we um, had been going to this um, place called Kona Village Resort on the Big Island of Hawaii, on the um, on the western side of the island, on the Kona side, the dry side of the island. And um, this is a very special place. Um, it's it's I, I think for anybody who's been there, it's it's sacred ground, and um, it's just a place that just is magical. Uh, it it's. Um, it's, it's barefoot luxury of what they say. And, uh, and so, um, and you meet extraordinary people there. Um, 
and Rick was one of them that, that I met. And when uh, I remember when I first saw Rick on the beach, um, I could tell that he had been through something that was pretty profound health-wise. Um, you know, he, uh, he was very thin, very bald, and, but he had a great smile. And, um, and, and in Kona Village, you just strike up conversations with people because you have time to talk and you have time to listen. And so um, uh, I got to know Rick. I got to know his story. I got to know his wife and his children. And, um, uh, and so, um, yeah, so, so over, over the week that we were there, I got to know Rick. And then um, it turned out that he lived in the same town that I did, uh, um, uh, Los Altos, California. And it turned out that we had an interest in riding bicycles. And he told me his whole story about his, his cancer and getting uh, connected with Lance Armstrong and his doctors. And I, it was really extraordinary. And then um, as uh, Rick's health improved, um, we started riding bicycles together. And um, he, was, he was an inspiration for me. Uh, I'm not a natural athlete, and, and Rick is, um, and uh, so he really elevated my um, riding, and, and, and I just really enjoyed his company and spent some time with his family over at his house, going to parties and that type of thing, so, so I got to know him on a personal level. And then um, I get, there, there was a gap in time. I think we just kind of drifted apart for no particular reason, and, uh, but we knew each other, and we'd, we'd see each other at the local coffee shop, and yeah, I think I think that was the period of time where I <coughs> was really ramping up my work, so I was doing yeah. a lot of travel. Right? Yeah, yeah. You you had gotten back into the work world, and and uh, and then you were really busy with um, helping out other cancer patients. So so yeah, so things got busy for both of us in different ways, and um, and then so um, uh, in 2016, when I was diagnosed with um, stage four prostate cancer that was metastatic to bone and lung. Um, just, you know, word got out among our community and friends that, um, that I had had cancer. And, and Rick also knows my son, uh, JD, and um, through bicycling, because they used to ride together on this thing called the morning ride, and um, which that, that was all the elite riders that went on the morning ride. And so, um, and I think JD told Rick that I had cancer. Rick circles back to me and said, hey, I understand you're in kind of a fight. And I would like to be of any kind of help that I could be to you. And so, of course, um, I took Rick up on his offer and, and we, met at, uh, uh, we met at Pete's Coffee, State Street, Los Altos. And, um, and I think the upshot of that conversation that I really took away from is that um, Rick told me that you have entered into a very uh, unique world. Um, and um, you're going to have to learn how to reside in two different worlds. And one is the world of hope, and the other world is of pragmatic reality. And, um, and so the pragmatic reality for me is when I got diagnosed, uh, the, my first question to my oncologist was, is that, so what, is my look, what does my life look like from here on out? And um, meaning that how much time do I have left? And my oncologist said, um, for, for men like you, you typically can see a survival rate of about 5.3 years. And um, so there was a timeline there. And so, and, and so, so John, how, how old were you at that point? 
let's see. Well, I'm 66 now, and that was uh, four years ago. So, yeah, so 62, 62-ish, uh-huh. 63, something like that. So, yeah. Yeah, and, um, and, and so... Um, and so I, so, so that, that was a reality. And then, and then, I, but you also have the hope part. And so Rick, Rick told me that you're going to have to, you're going to have to hold these two intention because if you, if you live in the, in the, in the, in the realm of hope exclusively, you're, you won't confront your reality and you'll, you'll set yourself up for, for distress and disappointment and despair. But then if you reside in the world of just the pragmatic medical realities of your life, it can lead to, to, to discouragement and possibly depression type of thing. So you have to, you have to learn how to juggle these two. And, and so it's, it's learning how to live with competing realities. Both things are equally true in their own way, but they seem opposite of each other. And, and that's, that's also, that's been a life skill that I've learned since, since diagnosing is there are so many things in life like that, that are, that seem so opposite, but they're equally true. And so that, that's really been helpful for me. And then, um, and then, and then also Rick talked about, um, advocacy, get, um, um, who is going to be your advocate. He talked about, um, confirming information that you get, getting the best possible information. And, um, and that was, that was kind of the upshot of our conversation. So, um, and, and, and I, I do have to say that my diagnosis came out of the blue. I mean, I was in at 62 years old. I was the, in the best shape of my life. I 185 pounds. I was doing yoga and Pilates twice a week. I was lifting weights twice a week. I was swimming, riding my bike, hiking. Um, you know, I, I felt great. And, and I just thought I'm pretty much bulletproof. But that was, that was similar to me. Too. Yeah. And right before I was diagnosed, I was riding my bike in Moab on Porcupine Rim, mm-hmm. just feeling like yeah. a, you know, that's, just, that's the same for me. So I think the lesson learned is don't get in good shape, people. You're going to get cancer. <laughs> that's right. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm, that's, that's the I'm, lesson that I'm going to take from this. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting a bag of chips right now. <laughs> really, it's like Jerry Garcia said, um, exercise, <clears throat> eat right, and die anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So, John, I'm super curious. You were feeling really great. How did... How did you go from being, you know, best shape of your life to being told you have stage four cancer with 5.3 years as a time horizon? Um, okay. So, yeah, that, that's an interesting part of the story as well, is that um, so I, I felt pretty, pretty bulletproof. I didn't think anything was ever going to be wrong with me until I get hit my 80s. And then um, my wife, um, she's had some very complicated medical issues. And so. Um, and, and in dealing with those, um, we got kind of lost in the maze of, of, of medical care where we were getting shifted from doctor to doctor. They couldn't come up with a diagnosis. And, um, and so um, I, we finally circled back to her former doctor who had started a concierge medical practice, which is very, um, very high touch medicine, very connected. Um, my wife can text her doctor and she will get a text back like in five minutes. It, it's, it's that accessible. So um, my wife really wanted me to sign up with this practice. And of course, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's quite expensive uh, because you do get the, you, you get what you pay for on the attention front. And I just, I resisted it because I said, you know, why I, I I'm, I'm fine. There's nothing going on, but she really wanted me to do it. And so I, I called, I called this organization and um, talked to them about it. And they just said, well, you know, 
it's uh, um, it's just month to month, and and if you want to try it for six months and see if you like us, then 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 fine, you know. And then if if you want to go on to something else, you just you just give us notice that you're not going to continue and and you're gone. So um, so I said, okay, well I'll, I'll I'll try it for the sake of my wife and and other family members were asking me to do it too. So um, I get a new doctor, and of course, you know, he gives me a. Uh, an introductory physical and um you know you, and you it always gives you pause for thought when your labs come back and your doctor says you know i i want you to to go and get another blood test because i want to confirm something and so um so i did that and um it turned out that my psa was uh 25 you know which for a guy like rick and i it should be below five from what i understand so my 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 psa was five times what it should be and my previous doctor had mentioned that my PSA was was rising, but he said, I'm not worried about it. And and me being the guy that I am, I took him at his word and I didn't ask any questions, which looking back on it, I probably should have. So I have to own that for myself. I mean, I I I wasn't proactive in asking questions. So and that's that's my thing. So But you were bulletproof so, and a doctor told you not to worry about yep, it. So I, I mean, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't blame right, you. Right, yeah. So so anyway, so um so so my now my doctor at this concierge practice, um he um uh he he retests my my blood uh and my blood my blood labs and then it um it came back definitely elevated PSA. So that started the whole cascade of events that confirmed that I had stage four metastatic prostate cancer. With no so, symptoms? None. <laughs> none. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This, this was, this was, I was, I was standing on the tracks and I had no idea a train was coming. What does stage four prostate cancer mean in your case? Um, well, stage five is you're dead. So, so it, uh-huh. it's as bad as it gets. Um, uh, and, uh, so that's, yeah. But, but the tumors had moved out of the process. Right, right. Yeah. Process, that's what right? metastatic yeah. means is that, is that so, so if it, if it would have been contained within the prostate, we, we, we could have had a discussion about how to treat it locally in, within the prostate. Um, you know, do you remove the prostate? Do you, do you, uh, implant radiation pellets in there to, to treat it? There's a number of ways to do that. But once, once the cat's out of the bag, so to speak, um, it's all over the place. And, and on my scans, when they, when they did a PET scan on me, um, I had metastases from the top of my skull all the way down to my knees, all down my back. Mm-hmm. They were in my lungs. It, it was everywhere. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and, there's just, and there's no way to control that. I'm, all, all you can do is slow it down. So... Yeah. Yeah. So, so I always talk about the three stages of this mm-hmm. disease in terms of diagnosis being the first mm-hmm. stage, not the same as cancer staging, but or maybe phases is a better word. First phase is diagnosis. Second phase is treatment. Third phase is survivorship. Yeah. Um, you're in the diagnosis phase. It starts out with a PSA test that's mm-hmm. high, um, and arguably you had a high PSA a year before, but it wasn't of concern to your doctor, therefore it wasn't of concern mm-hmm. to you. Um, following the PSA increase, then the next part of the diagnosis was scans, mm-hmm. right? This, the CT scans, which brought all these things up. Was there anything more in the diagnosis phase or was that pretty much 
all that needed to be done. Uh, well, of course, you know, they, they, they did a biopsy, you know, which they go in, they go uh -huh. into the prostate and then they, they punch out some core samples to get tissue. And, um, so, so, you know, they did that and that just confirmed what was going on. So, um, and then, mm -hmm. um, yeah, so there was numerous, numerous scans, um, and which all was all confirmed what, what, what my condition was. Can I ask yeah. you about the timeline? Like, how quickly did all of those things unfold? And, you know, what was that like for you? So, um, let's see. So, uh, so I was diagnosed in 2016. So, at, at, in the fall of 2015, that's when my doctor had said, yeah, your PSA is a little elevated, um, and, but I'm not worried about it. So, and, and what that meant was, in, in, to quantify it, was that my PSA has historically been like 1.2 you know, um, 1.5 kind of, kind of drifting down in the, in the, in the ones. And then, um, and then it came back at five and which is just kind of over the limit of, of what I understand is, is a healthy PSA for a mm -hmm. guy in my, in my age range. And then, so, um, so yeah, so we're drifting into, into, into territory. So, and then it came back at, I think I had another blood test because I was having some surgery at the beginning of 2016. I had a, I had a total knee replacement on my right knee. Um, so I've got a titanium knee on the right side. And so I had to do lab work for that. And then it was, it was like, it was like maybe, you know, high fives, maybe low six. So it ticked up a little bit more. And then, um, but then when I changed over to, um, to my current doctor right now in his care and I had that physical, which was, I think in May of 2016, um, it was 25. So it, it had jumped five times within the space of four or five months. And then as soon as it was 25, like, were they able to, you had a concierge now. So were you able to get scans like right away? And yeah, were you stuck <laughs> in the bureaucracy? yeah. And, and that's, um, um, that's where I'm, that's where I'm really fortunate is that, um, this concierge practice, um, it's very responsive and they have influence that I would never have on my own. And so that, that this is a luxury most people don't have. I realize that. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't have to deal with the medical community as a lay person who just comes in off the street. It was it like my, my primary care physician, he went to every appointment I had with me so he could talk to the doctors straight up. And there was no, so there was nothing lost in translation or, I had, Holy moly! Yeah, I know, and, and I mean it's it's incredible, and and I wish medicine was like that for everybody because it yeah. is so streamlined, and and that's where you know Rick said you need to have an advocate. Who's that going to be? Well, it's my primary care physician. You know, he is my advocate, and he says he says to doctors, "No, we're not doing that. I don't want that for this for my patient." And they they bat that around and come up with the direction, and there you go. So. Yeah, yeah, you were you were very fortunate. For that. Absolutely, um, yeah. Because yeah. you're you're right. Most people don't have that, yeah. and that advocate is usually a a loved one in some way, mm -hmm. right? A family mm -hmm. member yeah. or or a very close right. friend. Yeah. So, from the time that the PSA test came back at twenty five to when you had treatment, how long was that, and how did you decide what the treatment was going to be um okay so then so uh yeah may it was 25 and then um june you know june passes it goes up to 44 
So it's kind of doubling, you know, every month and, uh, and we're really off to the races. And then, um, so, um, I, uh, uh, had a, had a conversation with my primary care physician and just said, so what's, what's, what's the game plan here? What typically do you, do you want to do? And he just says, well, we we need to do, um, I, 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 w- I want to get some biopsies and, um, and we need to do some scans. And then, so he set all that up, you know, he, he got a, um, he got a guy that specializes in these very specific biopsies and where they actually did a scan of my prostate to see where they wanted to go specifically, which is, which typically doesn't happen. And then, um, so based on that scan and the images, the guy that did the biopsy, the doctor, um, he knew exactly where he wanted to go in the prostate. So it wasn't like they were wandering around the prostate, just taking random samples. And, and so, and then based on that, then he put me in touch with my oncologist when, when it was confirmed that I had, um, uh, stage four prostate cancer metastatic. And, um, and then, and then the course of action was we're going to, we're going to do chemo right away. And, and, uh, and so I, I went through chemo, um, over, uh, um, I did 16 or I did six courses of chemo over 18 weeks. So every three weeks, I think you did that Shay. You did, you had chemo yeah, every same. three weeks. Yeah. 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 So, so I went through that, that started like in September wrapped up at the end of 2016. And I, I looked a lot like Rick did when I first met him. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, and then, and then of course, um, you know, we got, we got this game plan in, in, in place and then, uh, um, heeding Rick's advice, he says, you want to confirm what, what your game plan is. So I asked my oncologist and my primary care physician, I said, I just want to get a second opinion. And so they said, absolutely, of course you need to do that. So we went up to UCSF, went to the, went to the prostate cancer guy up there. And, and he said, I would do exactly what you're doing. And, and this is the path you need to take. And so I said, okay, that's fine. So, and, and, you know, I, I, I thought about mountain bike riding, Rick, and I think, I think when it comes to treatment is that there's a lot of different options out there and, and some, there's a lot of things that are presented, but it's like when you drop into a technical section on mountain biking, you pick a line and you go. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So now it's interesting. Your, your experience with the second opinion was one of, confirming that you are on the right course mm-hmm. and in both Shay's and my case we got dissenting um opinions mm-hmm. right we got different opinions from from different right. doctors so it shows the value in having that second opinion. yeah you probably went into treatment really pretty confident that you were on the right on the right path. You were taking the right line down that mountain. Yeah. Path. Yeah. No, I, I, I believed in what they were doing. I didn't want to do it. Believe me. And it was, it yeah. was, it was a pretty intense experience, pretty profound. And it changed me in a lot of ways, but, um, it was, it was the right thing to do for me. Mm-hmm. So now this is, it was, uh, you said eight, 18 weeks of chemo. Yeah. Um, and then, did you have re- you had radiation as part of that uh, too or not? Not not in conjunction to uh, radiation came in May of 2017, and um, okay. and that was um, and 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 that this is another thing about that you want to get confirmation is that um, 
so my oncologist at Stanford referred me to a radiologist, um, an oncological radiologist, if the term is right, um, who was going to treat my prostate with radiation. And they wanted me to go through 40 rounds of radiation um, uh, at Stanford. And it would they, they would basically own me for, I don't know, like two months or something like that. And, uh, and so once again, uh, I talked to my primary care physician. I just said, so is, is there another, should we consider another path with radiation? I didn't have anything against radiation, but I just wanted to make sure that we were doing the right thing. So once again, we go up to UCSF, talk to a oncological radiologist up there. And he says, he says, absolutely not. He goes, this is not what I would do. Um, I have, we have a treatment up here called CyberKnife which is a, is a very specific targeted radiation rather than a general radiation. It sounds like something Elon Musk would invent. Yeah, it's a, it's a very cool machine. It looks like it's out of Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's oh. awesome. How, yeah, and so what... The, how does it work? Uh, so, so what is the CyberKnife and how does yeah, it work? So what they did was, um, uh, in, in order to target the specific um, places to... Um, uh, radiate the prostate. They, 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 they implanted three gold pellets into my prostate. And then, and then, so, so, so the machine can track those pellets because the, the, your prostate moves around and this is very, it's, it's, it's very, uh, fine tuned targeted radiation. And so, and so, so hang on a second. So I just want to be clear. You have gold in your prostate. I do. Right my intrinsic value it just it, it increased just ever so slightly when they put the gold in there. So yeah. that does sound like something Elon Musk. Would yeah, do yeah, yeah. So yeah, it does. So yeah. and so and then um, and then so uh, I think the treatments took like maybe um, forty five minutes total, and I would lay it on this table, and then there was this machine that I swear it looked like something out of Star Wars, and they they put it over me, and then. I would I would lay there for about twenty minutes or a half hour, and and the machine would just it would move ever so slightly every every five seconds or so, and um, mm -hmm. and so I and it was four treatments. I went up on Tuesdays and Thursdays for two weeks, and I was done. Where where if if I would have gone through forty treatments, I think I would have just been totally fried. So yeah. right. So, so like so it sounds like the way the cyber knife works then is these gold pellets are basically mm -hmm. targets yeah, and right. then from the outside you have multiple radiation yeah. beams that end up getting focused yeah. so you've got a high intensity radiation right there at the target but a low intensity radiation on the way in because it's not yet you've, focused. Is you've, that, yeah, is that you've right? got it. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So so this this is interesting in terms of now you've got two different Two different um, medical experts telling you two different mm -hmm. things, and you decided to go with the cyber knife. Did you go with the cyber knife? Um, how did you make that decision in terms of the you know the four treatments versus the forty? And how was the reaction from the doctor that wanted to give you the forty? Um, well, treatments. I, I made it uh, being the guy that I am. I made it out of convenience. I mean, who wants to have Stanford own you for two months? <laughs> I, uh -huh. I was not interested in that. And then, um, and then, you know, when I, when I went up and talked to this, um, this radiologist up at UCSF, um, uh, my, once again, my primary care physician went with me to this appointment. And, and so he heard everything uh -huh. that I was hearing 
And then, and then when we left, um, I talked to my primary physician. I said, what do you think? And he goes, I'm, I'm really comfortable with this. This is the way you want to go. Let's do it. He goes, we can always go to Stanford mm-hmm. and get you radiated for 40 sessions. We can always do that, but let's do this first and see how mm-hmm. it goes. And so, so that's, yeah. that's how we did that. And then the other, um, the other doctor, um, my other radiologist who I, who I saw consequently to that, he was fine with it. And, and I think that's the mark of a professional doctor is they don't take it personally if you don't follow their recommendations. They want you to do what you're comfortable with. And I think if you ever catch the vibe that a doctor is taking issue with getting a second opinion, I think, I think it's their ego getting in the way yeah, more, than you, more than your best interest. Yeah. So, John, sorry, I'm, I'm, I don't know much about, you know, prostate cancer in general. So after you went through the chemo, did they do another scan to see if it worked or like if it had oh, yeah. an impact? Yeah, no, no. They, so what, what was the kind of, you know, what was the success uh, rate? Uh, it, it was, it was very successful. Yeah. I mean, um, there was no, so, so when I get scans now, when I get PET scans, I get contrast in there which they inject me. Yeah, me too. Yeah, you know about this. I think we all three know about this is they inject you with, with a contrast and it goes to the sites where there's metabolic activity and then they light up on the scan and they can see what's going on and then everything went dark for me. And so, um, so, so it, was, it was all good. And then as my PSA um, increases, which I've been through this a couple of times now, um, they'll rescan me to see you know, where the hot spots are. And to see what's going on, and um, and and I, I do have like some real low level background activity, but it's nothing that um, you know. It's not like a five alarm fire that they're gonna, you know, bring bring all assets to to bear on my situation. So yeah. So in May you have basically, like, you know, lighting up from from head mm-hmm. to knees, everywhere, mm-hmm. and then you go through chemo in the fall and by Christmas you don't have you know you don't have Mets everywhere uh yeah basically yeah that that yeah that, wow. that's it. yeah so the chemo the chemo really knocked it back and then and then uh like like the like the guy at UCSF um told me about the about the radiation the cyber knife um he just said we're just gonna we're just gonna kick this thing we're gonna give it the death blow as much as we can while it's down because everything is really Got quiet. It. So he goes, you know, we're just, we're just, it's down on the floor and we're just going to keep pummeling it until we we're out of, you know, we're out of energy or so. But yeah. So, so, so wow. one thing that I think make is good to make sense for all the listeners is chemotherapy that mm-hmm. you had is a, is a full body uh, <laughs> treatment. And so that yeah. chemo goes full everywhere. body experience. You bet. Yeah. Yeah. The chemo goes everywhere. So all of the metastatic tumors that are in Mm -hmm. your bones and lungs are getting hit by chemo. Radiation is a localized. Yeah. Um, Very targeted, very localized. Yeah. Yeah. And so it sounds like what they did is is they brought chemo to your whole body to get everything Mm -hmm. knocked down. And then they went to the source of all of this cancerous activity in the prostate and gave it a additional hit right there. Is that that's is that right? Yeah. That's accurate. Yeah. 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 So after the cyber knife, when was that? That, that would have been, been uh, 2017? Been May of 2017. Yeah. May of then, 2017. So about one year after your, mm-hmm. after yeah, your right, initial right. diagnosis. And then, and then yeah. I enjoyed like this really long season of, of, of no, of, 
undetectable PSA because I am on hormone therapy, Lupron, so um, which uh-huh. is chemical. Oh, I was on yeah, that too. Yeah. So, you know, cancers are driven by hormones a lot of times. So what they yeah, do is they yeah. suppress those, tes- the, they suppress the hormones that feed the cancer. And so, yeah, so, so that's how, and I'll be on Lupron for the rest of my life. Yeah. Okay. So, so, um, you had a long period of no, no noticeable right. activity. And then did that, did that change? Yeah, at some it did. Point? Um, probably towards, um, I think it was, I think it might've been the fall of 2017 going in, maybe going into 18. Um, my PSA started coming back up. So they put me on this, uh, they put me on another hormone drug called Zytiga, which, um, suppresses your adrenal glands. And, um, uh, because, because the cancer, what it does is if it doesn't have the building block of testosterone in my case in prostate cancer, what it does, it looks for something else. And, and that's, what's incredible about cancer. It is so adaptable. I mean, it is just, um, it, it can take something and build and propagate itself, you know, when, when, when it's, when it's faced with, um, uh, not having the building blocks at once, it just shifts over to something else eventually. And it, it, it figures it out. So, so anyway, so they, they give me this drug called Zytiga, and, um, uh, which is usually well tolerated by guys like me, but, but it, was, it was the most horrible experience I've ever had in my life. Um, it, uh, it, I, I, think, I think it messed with my hormones so much that I, I ended up kind of being uh, uh, anxiety and, and depression was, was visiting itself on me, and it would come on me unpredictably and I'd be paralyzed by it. So, um, so yeah, we had to abandon that after a while because I just couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. Okay. But are you at this stage? So you're, are you considering yourself in the survivorship like chapter that Rick talked about? Or are you just kind of feeling like you're treading water in the I think, I, I, I think the latter, I think, I think I'm treading water. Um, you know, uh, so, okay. uh, the getting back to the 5.3 years, um, so I have, yeah. I have, I have plotted that out on my calendar and my 5.3 years is September 18th of 2021. If, if I make it past that date, everything's gravy. So, so I, I, so I'm, I'm living my life kind of in 30 day increments. I get my labs done every 30 days to see what's going on. And, and so I just, I just structure my labs. If my labs come back good, I go, great. I got another 30 days. And then we'll see what happens the next month. And so, so I have my eye out, um, you know, using Rick's analogy that um, I, I do have hope and I do have the pragmatic focus on what the reality of my situation is. So, so the, the pragmatic reality is, is that September 18th of 2021, that's my expiration date, if you will. That's what I'm looking at. But balanced with that i also have this hope that i want to see my youngest grandchild turn 20 which is in 14 years which you know the likelihood of that happening is probably not really good but but you got to have a vision for yourself and so that's that's what i'm kind of leaning toward and i'm keeping my eye on that and so i hold those two things in tension and do you have confidence that that the monitoring that they're doing is will give you the signals you oh, need oh yeah yeah no when yeah, yeah. Okay. No, when, when my PSA starts to drift up, like like last month, it was eight point four, and when I just got my labs done last week, it bumped up to nine point seven. So yeah, 
it was a little bump. And then I got together with my doctors and we agreed that this is nothing. It just, it's just, it's a bump. Don't mm. worry about it. But you know, like, like next, like next month, if I get my labs done and say I'm in the twenties, okay, then we got something going on and, and, and let's talk mm-hmm. about what we're going to do, you know? And, and so that's, that's kind of where, that's my attitude. Yeah. But to have something that you consider a reliable indicator, because like you said, you felt yeah. something like it's, it's really, it's got to mean something to have something that you mm-hmm. have confidence mm-hmm. in. Like, okay, this is a, a reliable kind yeah. of barometer. Right. Um, yeah. What's it like to live with a 30 day horizon? Like, is it, is it freeing or is it no, terrifying? No. Or? Uh, I, mean, I mean, you know, it, we're all, we're all different that way. And um, so yeah. for me, um, I've always kind of been a one day at a time guy anyway, even before this happened, I just, I just never really, worried about too much about what's going to happen tomorrow. I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of an in the moment type guy anyway. And I'm, I'm a, I'm a monotasker. I can't multitask. I monotask. I look at what's in front of me. And so, um, yeah, I'm I, actually, it's really freeing. I mean, I, I, I think, I think cancer has been, I don't want it in my life. I wish it wasn't here, but it's actually set me free in so many ways that, that I, I never could have been set free if, if I hadn't had this happen to me. So, um, mm-hmm. so yeah, so, um, so I think, I think. So, yeah. so John, let, let's, let's dwell on that a little bit because I think, I think that's a common experience with other people that have cancer is true with me. It's definitely a transformative experience. In what ways do you think that it is freeing for you that you wouldn't have had that without cancer. Um, well, I think I think relationships um, they they have come into very sharp focus for me. Um, what's important in relationships, and um, uh, you know, w- with my with my wife, um, with my children, and 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 their spouses, and my five grandchildren. Um, you know, I, I just I am. I'm seizing opportunities with them that in ways that I, I think I just would have kind of let go or maybe not paid attention to because I figured, yeah, I've got another 20, 30 years. What, what, what's the rush? So it's that type of thing. So, sure. and, then I've, and then I've also been able just to shed a lot of the unimportant stuff out of my life. Um, you know, um, especially, especially people's perceptions about me. I, I kind of, it's not that I don't care what people think, but it's just that I, I've got a better perspective on who I am and how I relate to people. And, and, and I've, and I've really been, focused on having conversations with people that I really want to have. And, and I've, I've kept really short accounts with people and, and I've, I've, I've gone and done some, uh, uh, restorative work where I needed to that where, where I needed to kind of, um, come clean about some stuff. And then also, you know, and there's also conversations with people that I want to have that I may never have, but I'm still, I'm still at peace with that. So, Yeah. So is it is it the the difference between knowledge and yeah. understanding that you understand that you really only yeah. have one life and yeah. it's not yeah. that long? It's the it's the it's the deep understanding of your mortality that has has brought yeah, these changes. Absolutely, and and that's and that's one thing that I I remember you, you you sent out I think it was either a blog or a text and and you 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 waxed eloquent on that difference between knowledge and understanding that we all know life is short. But until you're faced with a situation where it, it, it forces you to look at it 
then you really do understand that it's short. And that's the beauty of a 30 day window for me that I, you know, I just, you know, yeah. And so, so I, I, I am seizing things that bring me joy. You know, um, I, uh, I, I, Rick and I used to ride bicycles together. Well, back in 2005, I defected to motorcycles and, and, uh, and like last night I got them. Yeah, you traitor. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when, when you have 120 horsepower between your, between your knees and a throttle in your hand, you can really go places. It's awesome. And like, in the, it's like last yeah. night, it was like, it was like 90, 90 degrees in Los Altos. And I just, and it was like six 30 and I got on my motorcycle and I rode to the coast and it was so restorative. I mean, just the the smell of salt air and the and the grass and the and the and the I mean, it's just you feel so alive and that's what I think people need to look for in their lives and and unfortunately I was so dense that I didn't understand this previous to cancer. I mean, why does it take something like cancer to get you to this point? I, I, it's just a mystery to me. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a there's a wonderful quote. I, I can't remember where it came from, but it goes along the lines of everybody has two lives and the second one begins when they realize they only yeah. have one. Yep. Hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's mm-hmm. kind of, that's kind of mm-hmm. what you're yeah. talking about. So John, I'm curious what it's like with your wife and your children and your five grandchildren with this, you know, cause it's one thing for you to come mm-hmm. to peace with it, but you know, that's also, you know, obviously they love you and obviously you're a large mm-hmm. part of their life. So what, what is the 30 day horizon? Like, how does that affect them? Yeah. Shay, thanks for asking that question. That, that is a really good question. And, you know, especially when family members are involved, they're, they're all different and they're all going to, they're, they're all going to embrace sure. this a situation like this differently when there's a significant health issue that involves, a fa- that, that comes up in a family they're all going to be different about it. They're all going to process it differently. So my wife, um, being who she is, um, I think she's very fearful. She's fearful of a future without me. And, and, and of so and we have talked long and hard about that. And, and we've actually made preparations for that. Like I used to do all the family finances. And, and so, um, I've turned that all over to her and, and I've let her, um, uh, structure that in a way that she understands. Cause I, I, I did it differently. And so I just, I, I kind of walked alongside her and just said, well, here's how we can do it. And, and so she structured the whole thing, how she understands it. And then I put her in touch with, you know, our, our investment people and tax people. And so she interfaces with them. So she understands. So I'm not going to leave her with this black box of confusion for that part of our life. I, I thought that was really important. And so, and so, um, and then, and then that kind of transfers down into other things in life. Like, like, uh, with my, with my son and daughter, um, you know, we've had some pretty good conversations about what life would be like without me around and what the family would be like and, you know, how to help mom and all that stuff. And then, and then of course my grandchildren who range in age from 13 to six, five of them, they all understand it in their own, in their own way that probably why at the six year old, you know, he's, he's just, he's just running around on a ranch up in Oregon with his mom and dad and his brothers and sisters. And, you know, he's just, he's just doing his thing. But, you know, my, my older grandchildren who are 13, um, I, I, th- I think they do understand the more, the mortality issue and that 
I probably have an abbreviated life. And, um, and, and I think as much as a 13 year old can understand that, that's good. And then my, uh, my, my middle, uh, grandchild, um, Sophie, who is, uh, 10 going on 11. Um, we were having a conversation, uh, one time and we were, we were talking about, it was just me and her and we were down by the river at where the, on the ranch that they live at. And, and we were talking about what we wish for. And, um, and, uh, and her wish was that I wouldn't have cancer. So I think she really understands what's going on. So, yeah. So, so, and, and I guess, I guess we just have to be sensitive. It's, it, I realize that medical issues are about us and about, and, but, but the yeah. thing is, it's, it, it's about the family too. What happens to you fans out through your relationships and, and you need to have an appreciation of where people are at and they're going to be in different places. Did anyone in your in your family like take issue with the way you were approaching it, either medically or you know energetically, like or, or you know was there any difference of opinion about kind of your approach? Um, no, not at the beginning, um, but I think right now, um, yeah, um, th- there are there are some family members who take an issue with my attitude right now because I I, I figure I've had a really good run. And, and when, and, and, and I know the rainy day is coming. I'm, I'm pretty confident that the rainy day being that my PSA goes up and, and they can't keep ahead of things. And then, so what are we going to do? Like, um, what kind of treatments are available? And, and I, it's like, I've told my family and my doctors, I go, I'll talk about anything you want to, uh, whatever treatment you think is appropriate for what I'm, for where I'm at at that point in time, that's fine. We can, we can talk, but I go, I'm not, I, I'm not convinced I'm going to do it um, because I don't want to end my life being owned by a clinical trial. And, and I'm not into hanging on to every single moment. I just, I just, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to, yeah, I just, I, I just want to live my life on a really high quality level. And, and if I need to shave a couple months or a year off that to maintain that, then that's, that's my decision. That's what I want to do. So. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's, you're raising a really, really important point that I think everybody um, that has to deal with this disease or other diseases may have to uh, come to grips with. And that is, it's a, it's a, you've got competing tensions of length of life and quality of life. And sometimes to extend your life, you're going to have mm-hmm. a lower quality yeah. life. And there's not one right yeah. answer other than, other than you do the work to try to right. come up with that right yeah. answer for yeah. you. At least that's, yeah. that's yeah. my perspective. And, and, and when you've got different people involved in a family, you're going to have the potential for different people wanting a different optim- yeah. optimization. Right. or different Yeah. And, and to speak to that point, Rick, um, I think, I think when, when you're diagnosed with a serious health issue and how you're going to approach it, I think, I think you need to understand who you are. And that is, is that, is that when I was first diagnosed, I, I, read, I read several books about people with terminal diseases. And, and, and my mm-hmm. conclusion was it, it, it comes down really simply to two types of people. You're going to have the people that are the battlers. They're, 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 going, to fight, they're going to fight everything they can they're, they're, they're just, they're just a warrior mentality. And, and that's good because it, it works and, 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 and people can feel like they're doing something. Me, 
I view it more as a journey. Um, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, hmm. I'm, uh, um, I, I, I want to understand what I'm learning and, and, and I think that's more important than being in this warrior mentality, just fighting this confrontational thing, which, um, that's just not me. I, I just, and so, so I really settled on that, that I'm okay with what I'm going through. I'm, I'm learning lessons in life that I never could have if I hadn't have been through this. And so I'm looking at it as a journey and, and sometimes it's really good to live with the questions that are unresolved and to, and to let the storm blow you in the direction that it's blowing you and rather than fight it. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah there's but it must be there. hard though, because it's, it's your life and it's your treatment, but you're, you know, it's also your, you know, you play an important role in people's lives. And so they might want you to be, you know, yeah. go to war yeah. or go to battle for them, like, no, you can't leave me, or, you know, how can you not fight for, you know, a, a, any extra yeah. day, um, and it's really coming from what they need, what they want out of, you know, having you in their life, and I just, I, I can see yeah. both sides of that. Well, go, just, go, going back to what I, Rick, uh, originally told me, you have to live in two worlds, you have to live in, you, 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 have, to, yeah. you have to deal with two truths that oppose each other, then you say, how can both exactly. things be true when they're so opposite, but they are. And that's, that's just, that's just the nature of life. You know, you, you deal with that on so many things and, and we, we tend to be people who want resolution, you know, it's black or white, you know, just, just, just give me resolution. Right. Well, I think, I think it's really good to live with the questions a lot of times. Yeah. Yeah. The dialectic, right. Of both things, both opposing yep. things being yeah. true at the yeah. same time. Yeah, mm-hmm. completely. So, so when's your next scan, John? Uh, when my PSA goes up. Yeah. It, yeah. No, no. Yeah. Your, your 30 day increments. When, when was your last one? And when's your oh, next well, one? So, um, I, I think, um, I get my labs done every, every 30 days. Uh, so, so uh-huh. it's a blood draw and, 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 you know, it's, and they do a full panel on me like metabolic panels and all that stuff. And then <laughs> the one that everybody waits for is the PSA, you know, what's your PSA, what's your PSA. So, so I get the, and, and uh-huh. the standard is, uh, every three months you get your labs done. But, but my wife said, I would really like it if you got your labs done every month. And so my primary care physician being the guy that he is, he goes, yeah, no worries. Yeah, we can, you can get your labs done once a week for all I care, you know? So, yeah, so uh-huh. so so I, I get them I get them every thirty days, which um, is is probably overkill. But you know, if it brings some some peace of mind to uh, family members, that's that's fine. I'm I'm willing to go through that. Well, she yeah. is the one that told you to get the concierge doctor. There is and look that. what happened. So I think she's pretty. <laughs> there smart. is that, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. The, the, yeah. the innate wisdom of a woman that us guys lack so often. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah I know. It's, it's, yeah, that's how yeah. it is. So, so, so that a couple of the big lessons out of today's discussion is number one, if you're healthy, look out cause you can get sick. <laughs> number two, if you go to a doctor, look out cause he might tell you, you, you got something right. you have no idea. Right. You, right. You had. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's it. Yeah. So, so, so John, I mean, I, th- I think we're, we're kind of hitting about the, okay. the end of our time here, but, but, um, is there anything that you think would be helpful to share with someone that is newly diagnosed with prostate cancer or is, has not been diagnosed. They're just sort of at that age where they should go get checked. Well, from a guy's perspective, um, uh, 
I, I think I think where where it went wrong for me is is I was under the care of a doctor previous to my uh, current primary care physician. Um, I was I was under the care of a doctor who um, regarding a men's health issue, which is prostate cancer. Um, he he did not do a digital exam on me where they do a rectal exam where they actually go up and feel your prostate, and and. I was kind of fine with that because I really don't care for those things anyway. And so I figured if he's not going to do totally. that, hey, I'm, I'm good. You know, I'm not going to yeah. ask so for he it. He was yeah. relying on PSA and, and, um, and in, in consequent um, and subsequent conversations with doctors, um, they, they stress the importance of a doctor who is comfortable doing that exam. And, 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 and medical schools now are kind of going away from that exam. But there is a line of thinking that that is an absolutely critical skill for in men's health for doctors to do that. So I encourage um, men, especially that if your doctor is not comfortable doing that exam, then have them refer you to a doctor that is just so they can because mm-hmm. they really have to be trained for what they're feeling for. It's like a, it's probably like a breast exam for a woman, you know. So anyway, mm-hmm. and then um, and then. Uh, ask questions. You know, if, if, if somebody says, Oh, your numbers are up, but I'm not worried about it. Just go, Whoa, Whoa, whoa wait, wait, how much, you know, wh- what are we talking about here? What's the trend? And, you know, me being the guy that I am, I just figure, Hey, it's all good. You know, what could possibly go wrong? That's, that's kind of how I operate through life. You know, if you have to, if you have to sign a release to do something, it's probably going to be really fun and a good idea. So, yeah. So, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, John, thank you very much for joining Shay and I and telling your story. Um, I think really... we should have you back on September 18th, hey, 2021. I'll mark it in my calendar. I think, <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. that's a yeah. great and, idea. And Rick and Shay, I just want to say um, I am so thrilled that you were doing this work. And, and when, uh, when my son forwarded me the podcast that, 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 um, that the two of you are doing, I just went, that is so cool. And I just... And I, I immediately subscribed to it. I immediately supported it. And when Rick said, hey, do you want to be on it? I just said, absolutely, man. If I can help you guys out, it's, I, I will do anything. So, yeah, anytime you want to call me back and check in on me, please feel free. And, and Shay, I, I just wish you the best of luck. And it really, it's such a pleasure to meet you. Um, and hopefully we can all gather up and have a beer one day together. Yeah, oh, I, I would love that. Okay. That sounds great. All right, you guys, you have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to this episode of Conversations About Cancer. We hope you found it worthwhile and interesting. I've got a request. Please help spread the word about our podcast and about our website, conversationsaboutcancer.com. Please rate us on iTunes and share it with your friends on social media. Now, go enjoy the day.